0: We are continuing in our series called "Grow Up," and today I think I've been given a task again with some <laughs> tricky verses. Um, but I'm not going to—I'm not going to try and dodge the bullet because I'm here. <laughs> um, I've got another tricky one coming up, which again I'm not going to try and dodge the bullet, but. But yeah today's title of today's message is called do not be children in your thinking. Do not be children in your thinking. And today we as we start to come towards the tail end of uh, 1 Corinthians today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 14 chapters uh, verse 25 sorry verse 6 to 25. I'm jacking it up already. I've only been here two minutes. Yeah, so verses 6 to 25. Um, I'm tagged on a bit of the last message, Um, the verses, which is verse 6, because I think it needs to be added to this this text just to give it a bit more context. So I'm going to... My eyes ain't that great. I've got my glasses here. But if my eyes become a little bit unfocused, I'm going to drop them down and look a bit different. <laughs> so, have you ever been confused by the language? An English, man, an English missionary went to Venezuela for the first time. He was struggling with the language and didn't understand a whole lot of what was going on. Intending to visit one of the local churches, he got lost. Having arrived late... He found that the church was already packed and the only seat that was left was on the front row. So not wanting to make a fool of himself, he decided to pick someone out of the crowd to imitate. He chose to imitate the man sitting next to him. As they sang, the man clapped his hands. So the missionary clapped his hands. When the man stood up to pray, the missionary stood up too. When the man sat down, He sat down. During the preaching, the mystery didn't understand a word of what was being taught. He just sat there and tried to look like the man sitting next to him. Then he perceived that the preacher was giving some announcements. People clapped, so he looked to see if the man was clapping. He was, so he clapped too. Then the pastor. Said some words that he didn't understand. But he saw the man next to him stand up. So he stood up. All of a sudden, the entire congregation went silent. He looked around and saw that no one else was standing up. So he sat down. After the, after the service had finished, the pastor stood at the door as he was shaking the hands of people as they were leaving. When the missionary walked out, he put his hand out to greet him. The pastor said to him in English, you don't speak Spanish, do you? The missionary replied, no. Was it that obvious? Well, yes, said the pastor. I announced that the Acosta family had a newborn baby and would the proud father please stand up? When you don't know the language, it can be really confusing. So let's read today's text before I pray. So again, 1 Corinthians 14, 6 to 25. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in a tongue, how will I benefit you unless I give you some sort of revelation, knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if, with the bu- and if the bugle gives indistinct sounds, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking to the air." There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my... My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in languages more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. Verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy an unbeliever or outsider enters and he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So let's pray and get into today's message. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace that you have given to each and every one of us. Uh, Lord, as we tackle today's verses, I pray that you will speak to us. Give us ears to hear, Lord, and open hearts to receive, even the difficult passages and the difficult sections of the text that we have to deal with today. Lord Jesus, be with us, we pray, In Jesus' name, amen. So, let's look at verses 6 to 8 as we go through the text. Now, brothers, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some sort of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Now way back, way back, in secondary school, we all had to choose an instrument to play. I chose a trumpet. And guess what? I couldn't play it to have saved my life. What if in service, during worship, I pick up the trumpet that I can't play and start making a horrendous noise with it? Would it be edifying? Would anyone be built up during worship? Of course not. You will probably put your hands over your ears to drown out the noise. Paul uses the example of a bugle to make his point. Now, the bugle was an instrument that was used by the military, Its sounds were used to indicate daily routines in the camp. And most importantly, it was used to relay instructions from officers to soldiers during battle. There were bugle sounds for morning roll call. There was one for assembly, mealtime, lights out. And most importantly, there was a special sound to charge and one to retreat during battle. Now... What if in the middle of a battle the bugle player is killed and a young rookie untrained in the meaning of the bugle sounds picks it up and starts blowing it? How would you know whether it was time to charge or to go to breakfast? So with those analogies in mind, let's look at verses 9 to 11. So with yourselves if if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. Now here's, a, here's an example that I think kind of works. So During lockdown, as things started to ease, I decided it was time to get out there and start preaching the the gospel to the clients that that, that, that come to Barley Loan. So they all group outside, we don't let them in because of COVID. So I've got this little PA system, got it out and thought, "Yeah, let me start preaching again because I've been missing that. So while I was preaching, these guys, they were like listening with intent. I thought, After finishing, I thought, amen, the gospel's gone out, wonderful. Later on, as they started to come to collect their food bags from the table, it suddenly dawned on me that these people didn't understand English. They only understood Spanish. For most of them, I was preaching a load of unintelligible words spoken into the air because I was a foreigner to them. Praise God, that's not where the story ended. The following week, the spirit said to me, you know what, go find some Spanish teaching. So I found a recording of Billy Graham preaching the gospel with a a passionate uh, Spanish interpreter translating. So the gospel went out in Spanish, enabling them to understand. Likewise, if someone stands up in the middle of a church service and starts speaking in an unknown tongue, which is language, how will, any, how will it benefit anyone when no one knows what is being said? You see, Paul is driving the point home with these Corinthians. He wants to make sure that they get it. Let's look at verse 12. So, with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Does anybody age 40 and above, I'm probably not speaking to anyone in here apart from maybe Richie. <laughs> Does anyone remember watching Desmond's? Desmond's, no? No, it was a comedy about a Guyanese barber set in Peckham. Yeah? Now, was it, there was this episode where the daughter, Gloria, her boyfriend bought her an antique hoover for Christmas and in typical man style couldn't work out why she was vexed. Now, if your spouse goes out gift shopping for you, would you prefer that they make their purchase at Cartier or Robert Dyer's? Ladies, earrings or a mop and bucket? (laughs) Fellas, Rolex? Or a black and decker drill. <laughs> we all prefer gifts that make us feel good about ourselves rather than gifts for doing the household chores. The Apostle Paul urges us to seek spiritual gifts more than, sorry, the, the Apostle Paul urges us to seek spiritual gifts that are more Dyson than Tiffany and Co. The Corinthians were so, so self-centered and interested in personal fulfillment, that they didn't care what other people thought. They didn't understand that the purpose of spiritual gifts was for the building up of the church. It's important to remember that spiritual gifts are never meant for self-service. They're always intended to serve the church. So Paul wants to correct a problem that was dominating the church in Corinth. They were abusing the gift of tongues. They believed that their ability to speak in tongues was the ultimate sign of spiritual power and authority. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You see, when when we look at the church in Corinth at this time, It was a church that if you went there, you wouldn't have received a whole lot of building up. Sometimes that can be a picture of of church life. There are all kinds of gifted people within it, but their gifts are not being used to build it up. You see, God has given you not just gifts, talents and abilities, but also opportunities you've been given everything you need to run the race that God has set before you run it well when we gather with the body we should come ready to give and to serve you see not all of us are on a spiritual high all of the time and god may use you to may use you to may lead you to someone sorry who is going through a difficult time in their walk and what you have to offer may be as simple as a smile or a hug, or maybe something significant as a prayer or a word of encouragement. It may be just what they need at that particular time. These little things help us build one another up. Can I challenge you to reach out of your familiar circle of friends? Get to know other members of the church that you're not close to. Get out of your comfort zone. Now, would it be fair to say that in the 21st century, there has been a shift in expectations uh, of the average churchgoer in regards to teaching? Too often, the expectation is the preacher needs to be entertaining. How many times have you heard someone say, oh, isn't he such a great speaker? He's so funny. It's our desire here To minister to you in a way that edifies, meaning that you're built up constructively while being faithful to the text. We would love to tell you emotional stories every week that make you feel good about yourselves and bring tears to your eyes. But there's more to edification than making people feel good or touching their emotions. Sometimes God has a word of correction and challenging verses that need to be shared. Sometimes there's a need to preach on subject and passages passages that might not meet your specific need at this time. Trying times are not intended to break us down, but to build us up. The way to build such qualities in us like love, joy, peace, humility and patience is to be confronted with situations that require love joy peace humility and patience how do we develop patience if we're never tested how do we develop forgiveness if we're never wronged how do we develop humility if we're never humbled you see, what doesn't meet your need may meet the need of someone else on a particular Sunday. All our words and actions should be undergirded by love. Paul begins the, 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 the book by saying, pursue love. Pursue love. If we really love God and each other, we will only do what's best for building one another up. Let's remember our primary focus should be on God. As a church, we should all have the desire to build one another up. Going back to Desmond's, there was a character called Matthew. He would always come up with, there's an old African saying, it takes a village to raise a child. You know what? It takes a whole church to build up the flock. It requires team effort. And he'd always say, think about it. Romans 15, 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You know what? I thank God for the abundance of gifted brothers and sisters here at Ecclesia. People that are using their gifts for the building up of the church. There's a few of them sitting in front of me right this minute. Pray about how you can use your gifts for building up this church. We all know the parable of the talent, the talents, don't we? Whether you have ten talents or you have one talent, you still have talents. Gifts, question, what are you doing with yours? You may say, well, I don't really know what my gifting is. How am I meant to know what my gifts are? Well, is there something on your heart that you you desire to do? There are three points to look at when 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 you're looking at your gifts to see if that's where God's calling you. The first thing is desire. Do you have a desire for something? It might be preaching, it may be teaching, it may be a Bible study, it may be worship. Do you have a desire in your heart for that? Question two, is the door open? Or do you have to kick the door open in order to get that gift out there? Because every week you want to come and stand up the front and be on the camera, and that's where you believe your gift is. So you have to push everyone out of the way, kick the door open to get there. Is the door open naturally? And the third thing is, do you have a peace about it? Do you have a peace about it? Is there a peace in your heart about what you want to do, about what God's called you to do? So, moving on. Here's some homework for you. Make it a priority to speak into the lives of your brothers and sisters. Give them words of encouragement regarding their gifts and their skills, the way in which they bless you. Like Paul said, the way you stacked them chairs, it was banging. It blessed me. (laughs) Why? Because we need that from each other. When we do that, individuals are built up, which leads to a healthier church. Let's look at verses 13 to 16. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praises with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit... How can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? Paul says, if you're praying in a tongue, pray for the ability to interpret. Reason being, how will anyone know what you're talking about? Verses 17 to 19. For you may be giving thanks well enough, But the other person is not being built up. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. You see, Paul gives thanks that he has been given the gift of tongues. So Paul's not condemning the speaking of tongues. So, what's Paul's beef? Well, verse 19. In the middle of church service, he says, I would rather speak five words that the hearer can understand than 10,000 words in a tongue. Where does Paul speak in tongues? Not in church. So, it must be in private, at home, in his prayer closet. So, speak in tongues. If you want to, but do it in private. Don't do it in the middle of a church service. Why not? Verse sixteen tells us. How can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? Praying in, tongue, praying in tongues in public in a public setting should only be done if there is an interpreter. You can see, go back to verse 12 for a reference on that. So Paul is not giving this advice to bind the church. But so the church service doesn't turn into chaos. Now, let's pick on some people. How many of you know that there are some Pentecostals and charismatic brothers and sisters that would say, well, if you can't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Or worse still, you're not even saved. Notice I call them brothers and sisters. Why? Because whether someone speaks in a tongue or not should not cause division between us. Why not? Because it's not a divisive divisive issue it's something we can talk about over the cu- over a cup of coffee, or tea, or Ribena. Is Jesus the only way to God? Yes. Is it essential for salvation? Yes. It's not up for discussion. Now, regarding the claim that says that if you don't have the hope, so, regarding the claim that says you don't have the Holy Spirit if you can't speak in tongues. Well, keeping it Bible. Here's where the wheels come off. Ephesians one13 to 14. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance until you acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Whether you are able to pray in a tongue or not does not determine salvation. Praying in tongues does not separate the mature Christian from the immature Christian. Imagine this. You get to the pearly gates. Jesus is there. Jesus, I'm ready to come in. Can you open the gates? No. Why not? You didn't speak in tongues. If there was a crowd, hopefully they'd be laughing now. But hey, (laughs) maybe we could get some canned laughter or something for (laughs) just to make the the teacher feel better. So now Paul's going to take his gloves off. Verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. You see, in their self seeking desire to edify themselves and to seem more spiritual at the expense of others in their church services, these Corinthians were showing themselves to be childish and selfishly immature. As children of God, we need to keep growing spiritually. Sorry, growing in spiritual maturity and not continue as spiritual babies. Having said that, we're not the finished article. We're all still a work in progress. We're all at different stages in our walk. But as we study our Bibles and listen to teachings, there are times when it challenges different areas of our lives. So how can you tell if a person is still a spiritual baby? Well, what are the telltale signs? Gonna give us, let's talk, let's have four, let's have four signs. Okay, sign number one. Babies often find themselves fighting, spiritual babies often find themselves fighting with other Christians. Babies will fight about anything and everything. Left to themselves, young siblings will slap, pull hair, kick, punch, poke, argue, and scream. They haven't learned that they're not enemies, so they live as though they are. Number two. Spiritual babies are easily offended. Babies are very sensitive. Their feelings are easily hurt. When things don't go their way, they will whine, cry, sulk, and even throw tantrums. They haven't learned to endure affliction, so they're offended when trouble comes. Three, babies are never satisfied. A baby never ceases to moan and cry for things. He's hungry, you feed him. Then he's tired, you give him a nap. He wakes up, his nappy's wet, you change him. A baby is just never satisfied. Spiritual babies are like this. The preacher's too long. That person didn't shake my hand today. He didn't smile at me. Who made that decision? No one consulted me. Four. Spiritual spiritual babies become jealous over the success of others. A baby only cares about himself. He is totally self-centered and always wants things his way, always want things that other people have. Spiritual babies are the same. They become red-eye, jealous, when other Christians receive a special blessing. They can't rejoice with those that rejoice because they're too busy being jealous. In chapter 13, verse 11, Paul wrote, and I think this verse gets quoted, well, it has been quoted recently quite a few times. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Chapter three, verse one. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. These Corinthians were so obsessed with the gift of speaking in tongues that they demonstrated that same kind of immaturity. They wanted everyone to see that they, they wanted everyone to see their gift so that they would admire them. Paul says stop being babies. Grow up. Everything God is doing, including the giving and exercising of spiritual gifts, is for the building up of the church. Nevertheless, while Christians should be infants in evil, that is, to be innocent and naive, Paul insists that they should still be mature in their thinking. In other words, regarding spiritual doctrine, sorry, regarding biblical doctrine, Practices and spiritual maturity. He wanted the Christians to be mature, the Corinthians to be mature. Again, the apostle urges believers to grow up in their faith. Let's look at verse 21. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Here, Paul is referencing Isaiah 28. We're not going to put the verse up. Paul is referencing Isaiah 28 verses 11 and 12 to show the Corinthians that people speaking in languages that they don't understand was historically a sign that God used to signify impending judgment on people who were faithless. And he quotes Isaiah to prove his point. Verse 22, thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers while prophecy is a sign is while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers therefore paul says that tongues are a sign for unbelievers i believe what paul is saying is that although they are a sign they're not a good sign but a bad sign how do we know that verse 23 If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsider or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? The word outsider here refers to people that come into church that have not yet come to faith. The Corinthians who practiced speaking in tongues were not speaking in any known recognizable language. And there was no interpreter to interpret their words. So the apostle Paul says, think about what you're doing. Suppose an unbeliever or a visitor walks into the church. They observe someone standing up and speaking unintelligible words. And then another person does the same. And another. No translation or interpretation is given. Just a load of people Standing up, talking gibberish and babbling all at the same time. He says that the unbeliever or the visitor will leave the church in confusion. In fact, they will leave thinking that these people are nuts. They're out of their minds. This is what happened to my sister-in-law recently, who is anti-religious as it is. She went to a church service out of respect regarding the family bereavement. She said, during the service, most of the worship team started speaking out loud in an unknown language. And then members of the congregation started speaking in an unknown language, all at the same time. You see, what's not helpful is that many unbelievers have a false and derogatory mindset regarding the Christian worldview. And going into a church service where this is taking place only confirms what they already think. Moving on, verses 24 to 25. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convinced by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Paul contrasts prophecy and tongues showing that prophecy is more superior. Prophecy used in its most general sense is to speak forth God's word. When the word is proclaimed, it speaks to people's hearts and brings conviction of sin. The first step in coming to faith in Jesus. The convicted person sees himself as he really is because the secrets of his heart have been disclosed And his sinful intentions and acts are revealed. Consequently, he will fall on his face. He will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Would it be fair to say that as Christians, we've had times when the message spoken by the preacher seemed just just to be for us and no one else? That message that spoke right into your life. It was a relevant and timely word from God that spoke into your life at a particular time. A similar message may well speak to the whole of the church. Some of us have experienced times when someone gave us a word that we needed to hear and we were amazed how he or she could have known what was going on in our lives how about stories of friends falling out after inviting being invited to a church service and the minister speaking speaks about things in that person's life that only their friend could have known and the one who invited them is no longer considered a friend but a judas a traitor You see the power of foretelling God's word. So in conclusion, when tongues are misused, there was only confusion, frustration, and bewilderment. Unbelievers were repelled. Believers were not edified. But prophecy edifies believers and evangelizes unbelievers. God is honored and people are blessed when his word is clearly declared. Our desire should be that every service, every activity, everything that we do or say in the name of the Lord should cause people to say, God is really among you. Don't limit what God can do, but recognize that everything God does is in absolute agreement with his word. God still speaks. What is God speaking to you today? Will you have ears to listen? When the written word of God is opened and proclaimed to you, will you listen to the word that is meant for you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the giftings that you have given to people within the church. Brothers and sisters, faithfully serving you, Lord. Thank you for correcting our misconceptions, if we have them. Lord, we pray for just your word to speak to us this weekend, Lord. To challenge us to get out of our comfort zone. To speak to those that we wouldn't normally speak to. To look at our gifts and how we can use them for building up one another in the church. That we may be part of that team. We're all part of one big family. And Lord, we pray that your hand will continue to be on Ecclesia, on the congregation, and those that oversee it. Thank you for your word, in Jesus' name.